All right, everybody, welcome back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, we have Todd Allen on the show, Vice President of Information Technology at Buckingham Companies. Todd, welcome to the show, man. Good morning, Phil. Thank you. Yeah. So, hey, we're just going to we're gonna start this off just because I li- really love reminiscing about old technology. Um, so, and, you know, unless I've got a millennial on that's going to tell me his first computer was, you know, XP and his first video game system was a Nintendo 64, which is coming up and is, is, is funny and almost laughable. Um, what, was your, what was your first computer, man? Well, um, mine was, uh, my dad had bought one. Uh, this was uh, sometime in the, I think, the kind of the mid-80s, early 80s. Um, he had bought uh, a behemoth uh, IBM knockoff that took, you know, kind of half his desk up at this old amber monitor that sat on top of it. Um, he bought it for, for a side business he was building and, and you know, ran like Lotus Notes on it. It's all DOS prompts. Um, yeah, yeah. I ended up finding a flight simulator for it and, um, and used to play it quite a bit. So. so that, and if I remember correctly, it was, it was Chuck Yeager flight simulator, which, which yeah. I, had, yeah. I actually had to Google Chuck Yeager the other day. So I apologize for not knowing <laughs> you know, if that's disrespectful you to you. Link. Cause I, that's you fly right. too, right? Don't you fly? I, I, uh, I don't fly as much as I used to, but you know, it kind of sparked a, a love of flying that I later revisited when I was in my, um, I like well, 1999. So, um, you know, young family and was out learning how to, to fly and used to fly about 200, 250 hours a year. Um, don't fly like that anymore, but, um, it was a lot of fun cause it, it got me involved in, in kind of figuring out the whole roll pitch y'all thing. Um, even though it was ugly graphics and kind of the, the, it was very uh, the complicated back then. I had, a, I had a flight simulator yeah. too on my Apple II, Apple two C you know, multiple discs, multiple floppy disks to load. And I remember it was like, a, you know, like flying a real airplane. It wasn't like, you know, fun, like, uh, like Top Gun was on, on NES, you know, it was like, you had to right. like, you know, learn how to do everything. And I'm sitting here reading this huge, you know, manual, like, can I just like fly over here and see the mountain? So I would just crash into the mountains for fun. Um, so, great so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how'd you get, you know, what was the deal? Like what kind of transitioned you, what got you, I guess, addicted to technology or kind of moved you forward? You know, what, what was the, what was the thing? Yeah. You know, um, always been somebody who has, um, liked technology. Um, not afraid of, you know, my dad always used to ask me, why do I right click here? And I'm like, I don't know, just right click. And he's like, well, am I going to break something? So, you know, I've never really been afraid of kind of poking around or looking under the hood or taking something apart and trying to, to, to figure it out. Um, spent most of my early career as a real estate owner, operator, developer, kind of in a traditional environment. Um, and after the Great Recession, um, uh, connected with a company that was in the software business and they built uh, they were the leading uh, provider of uh, telephony-based uh, software services for the apartment industry. And so really kind of got into more of a formal environment, um, really on the software side first, mm-hmm. building um, mobile software and working with uh, product managers and developers. And then uh, really landed in more of a formal IT role um, in my current role at, at uh, Buckingham Companies. And what do you think... And I, well, there's two key pieces to that there. Uh, one is obviously you had some some very important business experience prior to getting into technology, which is uh, very, very helpful. Uh, not only was it, not only have you experienced, you know, business failure, economic failure, downturn, whatever it is, you know, uh, um, but 
you know, so that's really, really important, I guess. But what were the building blocks or how did you kind of start to put all the pieces together as far as technology goes? What would you say are the most important building blocks for, I don't know, if, if you're starting off, that got you to where it was? Like, wh- where did you fill in the pieces? What were the gaps? Do you remember any gaps that you had to fill in? Well, I, I think if I'm, if I'm following you, um, in, in other words, you're leaving, you're leaving real estate, you're, re, you know, you're leaving real estate, you're going into technology, right? There's ha- what were like maybe some of the, what was the biggest learning experience or what do you remember learning and saying like, wow, that, that was something that I picked up or, or what were some of the biggest things that you picked up along the way? Yeah. So let me start with the kind of the software development world. Um, there's a lot of similarities in software development and building a, a house, for example, or an apartment community. I know it's a crazy analogy, but when you look at waterfall or agile design methodologies and apply those same types of thought processes to building, um, you know, you run into some interesting, interesting parallels. So, you know, if it, you know, for me, it was kind of an aha moment of, okay, this is, this is, basic project management. There's different ways of doing it. Do you kind of design it all out before you put the shovel in the ground or do you do kind of incremental pieces and then, and then, and then put it all together later? Um, in, in both cases, you find out that, um, you know, changing something midstream can be very expensive or very problematic depending on what commitments you've made previously. So the planning process was something that was great for me to, to, to kind of segue those same skill sets. Um, just like in the real estate side, I wasn't the framer or the plumber. I didn't, I wasn't uh-huh. the expert, but I could, I could work with those teams, interface those teams and understand what, what those teams were doing or saying, or go learn if I was unclear. Uh-huh. I had to do the same thing on the legal side when we were putting, you know, the, the business side together, uh, you know, the ownership entity or the structure or, or negotiating a sale. Uh-huh. And then the same, same thing's true in working with developers or today in my role on our IT team. I, you know, I've got a, folks that work for, work for us on our team. They're, a lot smarter than I am, a lot more uh-huh. technical than I am. Um, and I rely on their skill set and they help me understand where, where I've got gaps and I use, you know, kind of my skill set to uh, facilitate uh, gaps that we have that, that helps us become more strategic or better project managers for those kinds of things. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. So there's a lot there that is uh, very exciting to me, which is one, is it design, is it design first or shovel on the ground and build as you go? <laughs> um, that's like chicken or egg, man. There's no, there's no right answer. Um, and, and, so, the other piece uh, that, so, and let me just kind of pre, you know, preframe a little bit more where I'm going because I've heard a lot of technologies leaders say, Phil, I don't need strategy. Don't come. I, I don't need strategy. What I need is planning. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's like, you know, some, uh, you know, like what's the metaphor there, right? So we, is it design the whole thing out and, you know, like what's your experience? Yeah, I think, I think from a software development, um, having kind of done it both ways, I am way more, um, in favor of, of, a, of an agile methodology, not anyone in particular, but, but the idea of, of having a, a master plan, you know, a big strategic plan, and then, um, taking out pieces of that and building smaller incremental pieces, testing it, putting on the shelf, building the next piece. And that allows you to iterate better or be more reactive. Um, um, and sometimes you may waste some code, um, but, but I think it allows you to be more flexible uh, and you get less focused on what's the final general release date and you get more um, stakeholder involvement across. So I, think, I think from a software development, I would be generally in favor of 
of an agile type methodology. For real estate, I think it's somewhere in between. Um, if you wait to design everything fully out, pick out every last detail and every last finish, you're never going to start. So, um, but you still have to get the foundation designed so it can carry the load of the building. You have to be able to to lay out the you know, the, the, the walls and any structural requirements so that it can hold the building. You know I mean? There's things that you have to do first. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but things that are later like finishes can change. Mm-hmm. Um, it may affect your deal. Um, moving walls is a lot more expensive than changing a countertop material. Um, moving a kitchen around is a lot more expensive than changing a countertop material. So, so I think in the, in the real estate world, or in, uh, if I use that parallel, you can you can create um, kind of a if you will a hybrid or, or an in between uh, phase to be able to do that. To your point about planning versus strategy, um, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Um, I think planning is part of your strategy. So y- you have to know what's the direction we're going. You have to be able to work to be able to build um, buy in with your team, whether that's up or down or laterally throughout the organization. And you have to understand what the scope of that's going to be. Um, so you can plan all day long, but if you don't have buy-in, it's not going to work. And you can plan all day long, but if you don't understand the scope of what you're building, we've all had projects where we've, whether it's a development, um, you know, software development, or if it's an IT project, mm-hmm. where you don't have buy-in or you don't have the scope and you get the, the nefarious scope creep. Um, and those those set you up for failure every time. So. I believe Give me an example of the scope of creep. Strategy. I need to hear. What do you mean by scope creep? I need to hear an example there. So I get a yeah, very clear um, picture. Give me like paint like a, I don't know if it's a nightmare or whatever you want to call it, but give me, maybe it's uh, normal. Like everyday, <laughs> everyday thing that something deals, you know, who's, who's dealing with this and, and where does that creep in? <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, we want to replace the phone system. So we decide that we are going to go replace the phone system and it's going to be, an on-prem system and it's going to have 25 seats and it's going to have direct extension dialing and, you know, call parking and all the basic features and everything else. Uh uh And you start to execute that and you go out and you get three or four bids and you start conversations with vendors and blah, 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 blah. And then all Uh of a sudden somebody comes in and goes, but I want to be able to add um, um, VoIP phones to connect to that on-prem solution. Well, now you have a different problem to solve that will require, if you can do it, depending on what hardware you expect, you now have a different problem to solve is the interconnectivity from a remote site that somebody didn't address or didn't, you know, ask the right questions up front or just came up with an idea. That's an example of scope creep. And if, if beyond that, somebody says, well, I still, I need a fax, you know, nobody uses faxes anymore. Um, but I need Excuse a fax. Excuse me. That, that, I have people gonna, with yeah. hundreds of faxes. <laughs> <laughs> They're called government contractors. Government yeah, contractors. Sure. Um, uh, by the way, Real the way they still use the faxes. The, why, the, the way, way that you just described, the way that you just described going about purchasing a new phone system is, in my book, completely the wrong way to do it. But um, that's just me because I'm very, <laughs> obviously I'm very nerdy about telecom, right? right. But I like the right. fact that you're giving me this, this idea of scope creep because I'm now going to go use that in my messaging and say, avoid scope creep. Avoid the months of talking with vendors. Avoid, <laughs> anyways. Um, but okay, great. So I get it. Um, perfect. And let me summarize what I've got here so far. So we've got an overhead plan. We've got a, we're going to plan out the plan to begin with. Then we're going to break it down into micro steps um, so that we can be flexible along the way when that scope creep comes in because it's inevitable because we don't know what we don't know. Correct. 
Awesome. So and, scope creep is another way of saying, cream. scope creep is another way of, we don't know what we don't know and boom, it popped up. Yeah, it can also be part of the discovery process and it can also be part of the process to incorporate new ideas. I mean, it's really hard for me as somebody who likes to be very creative to say, nah, we're not going to do that because we're too far gone uh, or we've already committed on this path. And side that, note, that takes some... Inter- yeah. Just complete side note. What's your idea? Yeah. Because I think one way to avoid a lot of scope creep, and I think there's no way to avoid this, especially in the security world and, and the way technology is evolving so fast and then the number of vendors out there and the, the marketing noise and how do we differentiate between valid information and information that's just something that uh, someone paid to have on the Gartner Magic Quadrant. Um, what is your opinion on vendors and having, because my opinion on vendors is you got to have partnerships. You have to have people that are bought in in your company, not just a, not just a sales rep or talking with a sales rep that's going to come in and make a one-time transaction. Maybe that's a loaded question. It sounds a little loaded to me. <laughs> uh, but honestly, what's your, what's your experience with that? And are there are there areas of technology that have better partnerships versus kind of that, you know, I've just got to buy this stuff. Like, I don't know, my, my Dell equipment vendor or something. Yeah. So you're, you're, I, I, what I'm hearing is, is there a difference between like a transactional relationship or transactional um, uh, perspective and a relationship perspective? Those are the two kind of magic words there. So, um, and how do you avoid that? Okay. I guess my thing is, is, how do you know that you're in that relationship that's a partnership versus transactional? Um, yeah, there's a couple of ways. So, so transactional does serve its purposes. It's not an evil word. Um, but, uh, you know, I think when, when you come to those really hard deal terms or um, challenges, um, that's where the relationship piece comes in, whether you need advice from a partner that you have built trust with, or you actually run into kind of a difference of opinions. Um, so I have a great partner uh, negotiated a deal recently. We've got some key dates in there. Um, those dates needed to be adjusted. And that partner was like, well, that's, that's cool. Um, and, and that's because um, we, have, we have built a great relationship and we're, we're, we're doing things that in the short term may be a challenging conversation or may not be in one side or the other's best interest. But because of the, the, the trust that we've built, mm-hmm. um, the commitment to working together and kind of that bigger picture, mm-hmm. um, that decision was an easy conversation. Um, it was upfront, it was transparent, and there was a resolution and we've moved on as opposed to getting lawyers involved. And so, so that, that's to me the difference of the relationship piece. It's not about price. Um, I mean, it can be, but it's not solely about price um, because that becomes very transactional. Yep. If you're only doing business with me because you're giving me the best price mm-hmm. um, and all hell breaks loose, um, I'm going to go find somebody else. Right. Yeah. And you're going to say, this guy keeps beating me up on the price. And, and so I'm going to fire this customer and I'm going to go find somebody else. When the relationship piece comes into it, um, you know, price is important and price is a component of that. But when, um, you know, I had a painter bid our house the other day and, you know, he looked at it and he's like, well, I'm going to charge you extra for that. I'm going to charge you extra for that. I'm going to charge you extra mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Had somebody else come in and bid it and goes, oh, I can fix that. that. That's no big deal. We'll make sure that's all caulked up. We'll make sure mm-hmm. that that window is replaced. This is the price I'm going to give you. And if I, I see a couple yeah. of things that need to be done. I'll make sure it gets done because they're, it's more about the relationship. So, and then that person, um, and then you want to pay that person. Correct. I had someone that correct. had to fix and I a DNS. To that person, uh, too. I had a weird DNS SSL certificate, like mix match with, you know, like whatever it was the other day. And my web designer couldn't find it. And he's like, we'll talk to this guy. And 
you know, even though I'm talking with some guy over, you know, some weird, you know, like over, over a zoom call, like in Russia, I totally trust him because it came from a guy that I trust very much. And he fixed the whole issue for me in like 30 minutes. And I'm sitting there saying like, you know, Hey, how do I pay you? He's like, you don't have to pay me. This is nothing. It took me two seconds. I'm like, no, no, right. like I want to pay yeah. you. Like, yeah, I really, you. like you just made my life so much easier. I could be, you know, sitting and checking all these web servers and Cloudflare and all this stuff for like hours and you did it in like 15 minutes. That's worth something to me. All right. So that was um, clearly I've had my coffee this morning. There's a complete side note. Let's wrap this back, pull this back in here. So we were at you know, agile methodology, um, and then, you know, planning process and where's the direction of the project going in and then getting buy-in from people. So that's kind of like a big thing. And now I know, um, maybe you can give me an example there of, of how you get buy-in or, or where you came into the organization and having to bring, bring about change. And, um, maybe give me an example there of, of getting buy-in and how do you do it? Um, sometimes not so good. Um, <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. you know, I'm by nature an impatient person. And so I process, I talk fast. Um, mm-hmm. I process fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I fail fast, you know, it goes back to the whole agile and, mm-hmm. and entrepreneurial mindset is if you're going to try it, try it fast, fail quickly, mm-hmm. limit your exposure, iterate and start all over. Um, and, and not all parts of organizations or all people in those parts of the organizations do so in the, in the same way. So sometimes I struggle with the, the buy-in, um, because I've already sold myself and I already know it's good. Um, even sometimes sitting down to memorialize and, and paper the, 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 the deal terms or create the agenda and coordinate the meeting. Um, and what I have found, um, particularly working for other people is that's so necessary. And, um, because I move so fast, um, I can lose people, um, worse. I think, um, I can set the impression that I'm kind of bulldozing Mm. and, and that alienates people. And so people feel like, oh, he doesn't care about my opinion or he doesn't want my opinion, which is mm. totally not the truth. I just, mm-hmm. and I, I've done that on my own team. Um, I've done that with, with peers. So, mm-hmm. so that kind of feedback has been great um, to kind of figure out, okay, you know, you've got you've to match the message to your audience. And just because you think it can be done in 30 or 60 days or it should be done in 30 or 60 days doesn't mean that it's going to be, that's a realistic expectation or that other folks are not, um, trying to, um, um, have their own process. Um, plus they have own, own hurdles, you know, you know that they've got to work through to make sure it works. Um, explain the memorialize. Yeah, I think, um, I tend to be very verbal, um, just as in my personal nature. And so I would do better. I, I have, I love what I call fender meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, if you and I were in offices and down the hall, if we have something to talk about, I'd prefer to not send you an email and I'd prefer not to pick up the telephone. I'd prefer just to walk down and go, Hey, Phil, uh, I got this happening. This is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And, mm-hmm. you know, that's not a hour long meeting on a calendar. A lot of times that's me just walking up. And again, mm-hmm. there's people mm-hmm. that don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that, that personal interaction and the verbal interaction. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking about memorializing, um, where, where that doesn't work for people um, and when there are, you know, cross departmental groups or larger um, um, uh, vested stakeholders, <clears throat> particularly when they go up the food chain and their schedules are a little different mm-hmm. uh, or you only have limited exposure, memorializing, memorializing the, um, the deal, meaning create some type of project scope, um, create the, the goal that you're trying to 
achieve, um, give them a high level um, um, target of what the, the, the metrics are in terms of this is, this is what we think it's going to cost. Um, this is what we have budgeted. You know, it, it's a, it's a net ad or it's a, you know, we can offset some, some dollars here or, you know, mm-hmm. we totally, you know, missed it and, and it's, we got to write a check, but, but, but lay out the framework so that it starts the conversation. Typically what will happen is um, even if the person receiving that, that, that write-up or that documentation uh, totally disagrees with the premise, it will start the conversation and it will vet what they're, what they rec- recognize or don't recognize as our pain points or um, challenges or problems to be fixed. And that'll help you determine whether or not you do have the buy-in and outline what you need to do in order to get the buy-in. And again, that can be a process that takes a week and that can be a process that takes years. Um, mm-hmm. As an example, we're going through uh, replacing a current help desk provider, which has been something that we have been been talking about quite a while. And um, I have tried several different ways to have this conversation with senior level people and um, have recently kind of figured out some ways to do that. So I have real estate minded people who are looking at investment committee memos and um, had a, a peer of mine say, you know what, why don't you try it as an investment committee memo? And so instead of taking you know a memo and sending it by email with all the documentation, we just set up a meeting. We created literally an investment committee memo for our project that brought our executive team together and it presented it with a slideshow and, and a PowerPoint and walked them through it. And we had all the documentation on, on the table for them to, to address after. Mm-hmm. And that worked very well. Um, we got farther with that hour long meeting and that style than we had in the past year and a half. Um, and so we're kind of at the late stages of following up to their, 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 to their Q and a, mm-hmm. they provided a written response to us like mm-hmm. they would do normally and said, here's what we need you to go vet mm-hmm. or here's where the budgets to needs to be adjusted and, and come back to us when you have that information. So we're in the process of doing that now. And I think there's a high likelihood we'll get the, 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 the project uh, approved. So, and let me just make sure I understand this correctly. So memorialize to you is find a way to document, which I, I hear a lot of IT directors have problems with uh, documenting things for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, find a way to like document, present, uh, bring it to key stakeholders uh, so that they can see the idea put in their input, get their input put in there and get agreement on what the pain points are and how that's affecting the business. Correct. 100%. Okay. Beautiful. And just to put this in perspective for everyone out there listening, um, Todd has 350 endpoints out there. He gets about 250 tickets a month, uh, manages 45 properties and has like, like three people. You have like three, you're like a team of three people, right? So Uh, I mean, this is classic. This is like, how do we do as much with as little possible? Because I mean, honestly, like 350 people coming to three people is, is a lot of, is a lot of work that can be done. It's a lot of work to be done on a daily basis, uh, let alone, you know, memorializing things and bringing, (laughs) bringing plans to the table and creating, you know, positive change and measurable results and, uh, you know, CSAT scores and all that other stuff that, that we've talked about in the past. Um, Correct. So, yeah, I think out of that the whole conversation, the thing that I picked up the most, which is 
you know, being, you know, listening to people, not losing people. I think honestly, like what's really key there that, that you didn't say, it's just something from someone from the outside watching is that you've been very transparent and I guess vulnerable with yourself. The fact that you can come on a show right now and say that I talk too fast, I lose people that the fact that you're able to be vulnerable is a sign of leadership in my opinion. Um, well, I appreciate it. Um, well, yeah. do you think it's a sign of leadership to be vulnerable with your people, to know your weaknesses and to admit them to your people? Yeah. I, and I, I think, I think, um, I think it's part of any solid relationship and I've been married for, uh, my <laughs> wife will get mad when she listens yeah, to 20, <laughs> 20, yeah, I think we're 21 or 22 years, uh, August oh, of 97. You. I know that. So maybe do the math on, on uh, a live call, uh-huh. uh, long time. And, and, you know, I think even like if I use that, um, that's, you know, that should be a model of many business relationships. Obviously, there are things that you don't want to model in a marriage, in a you know, compared to a business, but or, but or, mo- or model in a business relationship, <laughs> or vice correct, versa. Correct. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Absolutely. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. but you know, I'm open with my wife, and she is with me. We don't keep secrets from each other. She tells me when I'm, I'm a knucklehead and I screw up, and and uh-huh. I've got to acknowledge when I do that. So so we have a very open and transparent relationship there. Um, you know, I think that's easier for some people, uh, than others. Um, you know, but for me, it's always been about highlighting where I need to improve and being able to hear it. I got some feedback the other day that, um, I didn't necessarily agree with, and I think was misconstrued. Um, but it came from two people and they were two people important to me. Um, and so I own how I presented myself or I presented that situation to those people. I think they got it wrong. They didn't get what I was intending to do, mm-hmm. but I own it, you know? And so hey, perception uh, and is I, reality, I, right? Perception is, is reality. It is. And, and, um, I fail all the time. Um, I have had some very acute failures in life. Um, I'm really hard on myself. Um, but I think it comes from a, a spot where I just want to do better and I want to be successful. And so my experience has been when my team knows that we're on equal footing, you know, we may have different responsibilities or a different title, but day one, when I sat down with a team that I currently have, I've said, you got to treat me literally, you have to treat me like you're my wife. You need to tell me when I'm being stupid. You need to tell me when I have a terrible idea. You need to throttle me back. If I'm moving too fast, you need to Uh speak up in a meeting. If you feel like I'm making a bad decision, that's okay. We just got to talk to each other, you know, decently, but, but that type of, um, relationship, I think builds phenomenal teams. If you want to call it leadership, that's great. But, you know, for me, it's about, about building a team that will, um, you know, that, that, that will literally walk over fire, um, together, um, and perform together when things are really crazy. Um, as we all kind of go through those, those teams are the, the best ones because there's no question going into it. Everybody's like, we're in and they go do their thing. And, you may debrief afterwards, but, but it's not about why am I doing this for this guy that I work for who I don't really like, right? Or I don't really respect. So what is the key um, to that? Because you came in, I mean, you, there's other people in these, in these situations. They take a new job. They've got to come in. They're, I, they're the IT director and there might be like a tier one, tier two, level one, level two system admin there that's thought they, that thought they deserved the, the next role or anything. But there's people that come in every day and have to take over and be the leader in that position. Kind of what's your... Um, What's your general thought on, or, or when you come into a situation like that and you take over, what's your first, um, what's the best advice to other people out there doing that? 
Yeah. I mean, I think my, what I did in my current environment was, you know, first decided, do I have the right people? Um, and I took some time just to, um, establish a relationship. I didn't come in and go, you know, I use this vendor over at this job. And so I'm going to wipe everything out that you all have done to to put this vendor in, Mm -hmm. um, have done almost none of that. Um, you know, literally have come in and said, well, you know, the network better, you know, the relationships better, you have the institutional knowledge. So tell me why it's awesome. And so just a lot of listening and a lot of learning and evaluating of the the people that, that I had. Um, you know, then the next thing that we did was we, we kind of changed the way that we worked in the organization. So it became more about, okay, guys, you, you all are pretty solid. Um, and you do a great job and you, you know what you're talking about. Now I want to change you know, what we're doing in terms of communicating back to the rest of our stakeholders, the rest of our um, team that we support, because that's what we do. Our job is to support the rest of the organization. So we need to be transparent. And that, that means it's okay to say, we screwed up, drop that ticket, too busy, whatever it may be, uh-huh. um, so that we can share with somebody that um, it's not that you're not important. It's not that we're not inept. It's just that we either made a human mistake or We've just been slammed busy and then um, communicate that. So here's the reason that failed or you're unhappy, acknowledge it and then communicate it. And then from there, just stay in touch. Mm -hmm. I'm still working on the ticket. I'm not done with it yet. Still kind of working crazy. You know, so there's or two I'm things there. Some other things that's prioritizing. Yeah. Just, I mean, there's two things there. Uh, one is, hey, uh, guys, you're good. Like letting them know, like, hey, hey, you're good. Um, and two, like, so it's okay to communicate and it's, and because you're good, it's okay to let you let people know, like, you know, when we screw up or wrong or whatever it is. So you're backing up your team, you're supporting them, you're serving them. Um, and then it's like, okay, well now let's let everyone know how good we are. But at the same time, like, Hey, we got 350 people and there's three of us. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, Not everything's, not everything's going to be like, you know, perfect all the time. Um, so uh, give me some more. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think the next thing that is really the, 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 the incremental change, um, you know, functions where um, nobody, like I'm okay with change and I'm okay with coming in and turning the world upside down and then letting things settle. Most people are not. Um, and there are some people who are the total opposite that don't want any change. And so I think um, incremental change allows for buy-in. So, um, and if you, if you start with the behavior side and those are, those are the, um, in some ways they're bigger changes, um, but they're easier to sell. We're just, it's just, you model the behavior and have them kind of follow the behavior. Um, you always have to be prepared that if somebody is not going to be on board with what you're doing and what the goals are, um, and then they're not bought into the goals that you may have to make a change. Um, uh, but like in my case, it, I've been fortunate that, you know, the, the folks on our team have been, um, they've been wonderfully supportive of hell yeah, we're in, let's do it. So, um, well, I think, you know, and then part I think- of that might be also is like when we were talking the other day, you said something about modeling, you said modeling behavior with the worst case. Uh, I mean, worst case scenario. I mean, I don't, what do you mean by that? And can you like, I don't remember really where we were going with that, but what do you mean by modeling behavior with in the worst case scenario? I'm assuming it's in. Well, the- I mean, I think, well, yeah. So, so when I, when I mean modeling behavior, I mean, um, so we have a major failure on the network side. You know, we have a, we have something terrible that happens. God forbid I'm going to touch some wood. Um, we have, we have an unauthorized penetration on our network and 
Um, it doesn't really matter why it happened. It's just, we're not supposed to let that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, by modeling that behavior, my team needs to see me say to a broader audience, the entire company, to key stakeholders, whomever, uh-huh. um, that happened. Here's what happened. Um, here's what we did to correct or what we're doing to correct. Mm-hmm. Um, here's, here's when the, the kind of the, the postmortem will be expected. And in that postmortem, we will have a plan to, to prevent it from happening again. Mm-hmm. Um, and as part of that, um, here's what I'm doing to, you know, obviously make sure that internally we've, we've addressed any, any open considerations, but, but it's taking ownership of it. And then again, being transparent and communicating. That's all I mean about modeling. Um, and so when you take fails, responsibility for it, in other words, you were taking responsibility. Yeah. When it fails, it's on no me, excuses. right? When it fails, it's no, yeah. when it fails, it's on me. Um, yeah. and when, when we have great successes, um, and when the team, um, you know, does a great job on customer satisfaction scores or um, the team's really doing a great job with modeling new behavior. Um, it's not about look at what I taught them. I mean, that's a very, that's a very negative way I think, of approaching it. Um, and I think people actually run away from that. Um, what yeah. happens is, is you publicly um, all the, all the kudos goes to the team and, and that has to be public. Um, you know, the leadership will recognize that the, that the department is performing and there, there will be some tie to the fact that, you know, you know, a leader's involvement on a performing team is tied to the leader, but, but the leader is not responsible for doing everything. And it is a privilege to lead a team. Um, even through the difficult times, it's always a privilege. And so that, that whole mindset of servant leadership means when things are great and there's victories to be celebrated, they get the spotlight when, when things are falling apart and, you know, maybe somebody gets their head on the chopping block for it. That's when you got to step up and, and say, that's me. That's my team. That's me. I did it. Yeah, so. it's awesome. So I think that's, a, uh, it's just a great takeaway for anyone out there. Um, when the team fails, it's on me. And when we win, it's, it's the team that did it. Um, that's great. Um, so talk to me a little bit about just, you know, growth in general, because I think in the mid-market space, a lot of times we've got companies that are growing really, really fast. And that's what you guys are experiencing right now. Um, how do you deal with fast growth or growing faster than you guys can handle sometimes? <laughs> um, you know, uh, and I'm have you even you. experienced um, it yet? So, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I've only yeah. failed every time. So we'll find out, Phil. Right. <laughs> no. You know, I think, I think that's part of it. I think you, you, um, you know, when we talked about strategy, um, you know, if you sit down, we do our strategic planning, um, in the fall of every year for the upcoming year. And, you know, we lay out, uh, a number of like this year, we had four strategic initiatives that we were, we were going to undertake four large, you know, year long type projects or, or, you know, part year projects that were big initiatives. And then we had like, Seven, we started with a list of 70 IT projects, you know, and that's all in addition to um, you know, keeping our network stable, keeping our network secure and help desk performance, which is our kind of our top two, three priorities above everything else. You need to put all that together. And then halfway through the year, because we are a very dynamic and entrepreneurial company, which I do love, you know, we start a new line of business. And so there's stuff that happens that, that is a, you know, total, um, um, kind of a sidestep uh, and again, mm-hmm. not inconsistent with our business plan or our growth, but it takes our strategy and it throws a little bit of a curveball to it. So monkey you know, wrench. how do you deal with so that? There's a monkey um, wrench in the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's all good. I mean, the, you know, our leadership uh, is very entrepreneurial. Our leadership is, 
very committed to to being both very strategic, but also very entrepreneurial. And sometimes those are in conflict. So kind of to answer your point, we what we deal with um, or how we deal with it is um, some of it's reactive. And, you know, from somebody like myself who likes to be um, uh, more forward thinking and more planning, mm-hmm. a small team, wide range of responsibilities, projects, mm-hmm. normal work. Um, we're very reactionary. And so from a personal perspective, that always creates, you know, tension. Um, and when I get stressed out, I always go back to, I try to go back to be more strategic. How do you, how can you solve the problem without diving in and building a to-do list? How do you step back, take a breath, look at where the latest piece is, uh, the latest monkey wrench, if you will, is fits into the bigger picture and then reassess strategy, you know? So, so, um, Preventative maintenance, Got it. kind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then and then figure out does this change my kind of top priorities, and if it does, or or commitments that we have made to the broader organization, then you go back to kind of the transparent transparency and communication. So, monkey wrench, curveball, new project comes in from leadership. Mm-hmm. They've all agreed that you know the existing plan is the plan. Um, that's cool. Then I go back and say, okay, we got X, Y, and Z ahead of this. Um, I'm going to shuffle things if that's the, still the plan. Does this still fit in that priority? Uh, and that helps vet that conversation. Sometimes it's just get it all done, you know, and <laughs> which is mm-hmm. more often the case. Um, and, and then it's up to us to figure out how to, how to manage our time. Um, but that's still a strategic conversation. Then you get into the tactical. Um, so if you want me to get more granular, kind of the way that we do that with our team is we have, you know, as small as we are, we have a lot of, 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 of kind of daily touch, touches, touch bases. Um, when I was brand new, we did something very similar to the, um, in the agile development world is we did a daily standup. So I'm learning new people, new processes, problems, um, you know, kind of trying to resolve very tactical and granular issues. And so we did a 15 to 30 minute standup every morning, kind of went over what we did yesterday, mm-hmm. problems today, and what we're going to try to accomplish uh, tomorrow. So that's, and then just updated that. Not not as a yeah. That's just um, that's just a good point. And I'm just I'll ask the last question. You can use this as uh, like you know the advice or if there's any ideas. But is there any modeling around that? Is there any type of you know hey guys we're just going to run this model if we do this every day every single day every day you know we'll be okay. Is there any type of advice like that to anyone else out there in an organization? Is there any you know certain things or or habits, I guess you could say, that if you do this and you do this well, whether it be one, two, or three things, you know, that will eliminate a lot of problems and or stress if you can continue to do this on a daily basis. Yeah. So um, I have tried to, and my team has gotten much better about this, um, but the way I do it is I spend probably the first half an hour to hour of my day. I'm usually at my desk about seven um, cause it's quiet and I, I'm fresher in the morning. So I kind of know when I work, uh, a lot of our folks work later, which, you know, sometimes keeps me there a little bit later than I would like. But, um, my first hour of the day is a day where I clean up emails, you know, from, you know, yesterday that I didn't get to or whatever. And I don't like it's organization. I don't keep a lot of stuff in my inbox. So they either get filed or they get turned into a kind of a task. Um, and, and then I organize my to-do list and I am notorious about, putting too much on the day, you know, and, and then feeling stressed out that I didn't get, you know, everything I wanted to accomplish. So I really have to be disciplined about, Hey, that, that one task is a five hour project. And so I just need one thing on my list today. 
Um, and so I, I'm, I manage out my calendar, my emails, and my, my to-dos. Usually, this sounds a little bit neurotic, but somewhere around two weeks uh, for my to-dos ahead. Um, and my calendar is usually about 30 days out. So I commute. So I, I know what my travel schedule is going to be. And again, it's all subject to change in a very dynamic environment. But it helps me feel more calm going into the day. So what I encourage them is, particularly in a highly reactionary, um, crazy in terms of scope, um, entrepreneurial environment that is very leanly staffed, you've got to take time to be organized. It's not about jumping in and getting on tickets or jumping in and solving yesterday's problems that came in overnight. I mean, when there's emergency, you got to do it. But part of, of mental sanity uh, in that environment and being as effective as you can is prioritizing what do you got what do you have to accomplish today tomorrow and next week kind of kind of approach and then the, the other piece that i would i would say that we do very heavily when i can see the team starting to get stressed out whether it's in our individual one-on-ones which we do typically biweekly um or in our we do a weekly kind of a a, a meeting that each week of the month or, um has a different approach so sometimes it's reviewing last month's um KPIs. Sometimes it's grooming our project list. Sometimes it's you know updating um, uh, status on on where we are on a, on, a, on key projects. But so we have that kind of laid out in our organization. Um, what I will do is sit down and just say, okay, how are you hanging? Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody says I'm I'm kind of stressed out, then it's we go through what do you have on your list? What do I have on your list? And let's prioritize what your number one most important thing is. And that's what, that's that's what you've got to work on. When that's done go to number two. And, and, and sometimes we do that every day. If it's really crazy, mm-hmm. it's coming in. What do you, what's most important? What's most important, Todd? What is, what are you getting from your organization or what do you see? And then that takes a lot of the stress off mm. because I think, and I'm, 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 I'm throwing a lot at you, but I think folks sometimes myself included become overwhelmed and then you get stuck in that. I've got to do everything and I've got to do everything today to keep everybody happy. And, and and then you end up killing yourself. And um, and again, I'm not the best at this because I still try to do too much. But the, the goal there is to break things into those bite-sized chunks. So it's again very strategic. But then you then you get down and you become very tactical or granular in terms of solving the specific issues. Does that does that make sense? It, it, no, it absolutely does. Um, okay. Very good planning. Uh, I mean, it sounds like a you know like like a Franklin Covey course would would fit in great there. You know, like <laughs> like awesome. we need like it's like we need you know like I'm Your sure there's like a gap to be filled. I'm sure there's like a gap to be filled there. You know, like you know mid market IT director. You know, consulting planning. You know, leadership guy. You know, there, there's someone out there that does that. I know he does. Um, uh, so no, I think that's uh, <laughs> I think it's put very very well, and I think it just paints a really good picture of what uh, of the uh, of the space you know everything w- the space that you guys work in in every day and what you do and trying to do more with less and trying to do more with less and how can we eliminate um, how can we eliminate tasks how can we make our life easier how can we free up time um, you know the more we can free up time the more that um, we can get something off of our plate you know, great. And the more that we spend just like, you know, I have no time for that. You know, like I got to get back to my, you know, to-do list. Um, there's a fine, there's a fine balance there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, right, I'll leave you with, so, so what's your last, what's your one piece of advice for, for IT leaders out there? You have it, you have a piece of advice for anyone listening? Oh, wow. Um, and it can be just the first thing that comes to mind, you know, cause a lot of times the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, that's it. Yeah. I think I think um, where we have had successes, um, 
for, for me anyway, and again, this depends on your personality and how comfortable you are, but IT kind of has the, the, the impression of you know, you get thrown into the, the, the corner closet or down by the data center and nobody ever goes there and mm-hmm. IT never comes out. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I support, you know, five operating businesses. Our, sorry, not I, our team supports five operating businesses. Mm-hmm. We have 130 people in our corporate office. Um, I, I'm on all floors of the building. I'm in meetings from you know new development to property management to new investments, talking about new technology, and I love that. But I would I would suggest to somebody be as visible as possible, be as approachable as possible, so the more people that you know and they go, oh, that's Todd from IT opens up the door for them to come in and go, Hey, I kind of had a problem and wanted to see if we could kind of figure it out. Or can you be part of this meeting? Mm -hmm. That'll open up doors for you to be, to be more involved as opposed to being, um, um, a group that has stuff just put on you, um, Mm -hmm. if you will. And, and where you are part of that process and, and that, that dialogue is important. So it's more about being, being available and being visible Mm -hmm. uh, and then performing. When I was in corporate America, um, I'm trying to think if I ever knew the IT director. I I never did. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I knew this. I mean, I knew the CTO at one company, and that's because it was a major, major, major CLEC, and we had a full, like, eight-hour outage. Uh, and I remember talking with him when I went to the knock one day and asking him, you know, what was that like? And he said, that was the worst day of my life. <laughs> and he said, but it was also the biggest learning. He said, it was also the biggest learning sure, of my life. Sure. But other than that, like every time I need a new laptop or whatever it is, no, no face, no clue who it was. It was just like, you know, the, the, the work prevention department. So, yeah. well, and I think, you know, IT is, one of those departments that you, you don't want to hear from, um, I think by the nature of what you do, if when things break, you've got to call IT. And that, that process should be as pleasant as possible. That goes back to the customer service side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but IT really in any modern business, any, any, particularly in like a mid-market business, mm-hmm. it touches every aspect. You know? And some of that is, has been an educational process for just having our leadership understand, think about it for a minute, guys. Um, it's a business when force multiplier. It is. It yeah, absolutely is. Yeah. You know that. You've been in a, you're in an entrepreneurial business. You've owned your own business. That's what's so that's what's so exciting. We didn't even talk about any of that. Um, but you right. went and, from that to <laughs> anyways. But yeah, when 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 um, a resident does an internet search, they're doing an internet search through a partner that IT has negotiated and um, installed on the property. When they use the door access to walk into their building, they're using a system that we manage all the way down to, you know, when you run an internet search or you log on to uh, your, your, your uh, property management system, you're using services or hardware or compo- phones that, that, that allow you to do your business. And, you know, although we do consume a lot of resources and we, we're not a true uh, or traditional uh, revenue enhancement type, type um, organization in many cases, um, we are essential to the smooth operation of the business. And we do, um, affect the ability to create revenue. Uh, we do enhance it in a lot of ways when you start to get into the, the nitty gritty. So, so you affect, at IT, you definitely affect a controllable, you, you definitely affect, um, you know, like a, a, a labor line item on a PNL and, and people's ability sure. to do their job in an effective way sure. and be able to get more work done in a faster amount of time, which 
is absolutely can be incremental. Um, it has been a pleasure having you on the show, and um, all all I can say is all my best to you managing uh, 350 endpoints with um, three people. You know, maybe we can move that up to. I mean, I think we said like three dot five um, because you're worth right. like I think you're like you're like the point five on that list. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> are you know, left? Maybe, maybe we can move that up to. Uh, maybe we can move that up to like four or five. Uh, you know, we can fi- we can find a way to do that in the future. Um, We're working yeah, on it. Yeah, man. Uh, all my best to you. Thank you so much. And uh, anytime you anytime you've got this a great story or, or a big win, like let's have you back on the show. I appreciate it. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak with me, Phil. So. <laughs>